Let's turn our Bible to Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12. What a thrill and joy it is to be in the service of the Lord and to be in this place tonight and to know that God is here. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> I want to ask Cleo Butler to lead us in prayer before the message tonight. Brother Cleo, will you lead us, please? In Revelation 12, I want to read this chapter, and I hope you will carefully mark it in your own Bible. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she, being with child, cried, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. There appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his heads. And his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to be delivered to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared by God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought against with the and his angels, and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, who deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman who brought forth a male child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and half a time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent was cast out and the serpent cast out of his mouth water like a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth. 
And the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his head the name of blasphemy. And we look in chapter 13, verse 11. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. And he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him, and causeth the earth and them who dwell on it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. In this passage, we see as we move toward the end of the age, the personages that we'll have to deal with, the personages this world will deal with, and the personages that many of the people who dwell here will, work, will have to deal with. First of all, in chapter 12, verse 1, the woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet is Israel, the great nation of Israel. Israel will always be God's time clock. Keep your eyes on Israel. There's some people who ignore all the words of God about Israel. You dare not do that. In 585 BC, Babylon conquered Israel and Israel went into 70 years of captivity. Under Cyrus, the Persian, they were allowed to go back to Palestine and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the walls and the temple, but they never had an independent state. During the times of Antiochus Epiphanes, when he offered a sow on the altar and erected Jupiter, an image of Jupiter on the Jewish altar of the temple, it so defied the temple, the Jews wouldn't go near it. And finally, there was a Maccabean revolt. And the Maccabeans won that revolt for a little while, but Israel didn't have a state, didn't have a nation. The Jews were still there, but they were in bondage under the thumb of Rome, under the throne of, throne of Greece, under the, th under the thumb of Cyrus and the Persian, and of course, earlier under the thumb of the Babylonians. Jesus was born during the Roman rule. During that time, Herod was the king of the Jews, but he was an Edomite, and he was just a puppet king. Rome had appointed him. Israel had no homeland. And in 70 AD, Titus, the Roman general, marched into Jerusalem, tore down the walls, burned the temple, destroyed everything sacred, and the Jews were scattered abroad, some to Africa, some to India, some to China, some to Japan, some all across the world. You say, how do you know that? Jews are coming back to Palestine from all those places now. How'd they get there? They were exiled hundreds of years ago. Israel had no homeland. All the Jews had to leave Jerusalem. And from 70 AD to 1948, the Jewish population in Israel was so shallow, so little, they were in Russia, they were in America, they were in Chicago and Miami and New York and all around. They were all around the world. That woman, the scripture speaks of Israel, the world is gonna to have to reckon with that. One of the reasons we try to take our high school 
the graduates and the juniors and senior class to Israel is because that's the state that the world is going to have to deal with in all the years ahead. Secondly, look in verse 3. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon. That's Satan. The world is going to have to deal with Satan. God's people are going to have to deal with Satan. Satan is real. He's not just some kind of a little old spooky, sinister force like a palm reader or like some kind of a black magic thing. Satan is real. And he has a lot of power. And he has the power to blind people's eyes. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not. You see, people are blind. Israel has gone back to their state in spiritual blindness. Satan is behind it all. And he's the one we'll have to deal with in this age and in the next age. Number three, verse five. And she brought forth, that is Israel, brought forth a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. That's Jesus. 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 There's something about that name. The wonderful name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They may relegate him to mythology. They may say all manner of evil against him. They may say he was a homosexual. They may talk about the Passover plot where they say... Jesus didn't really die on a cross. He just swooned. They put him in a tomb and the cool air broke, woke him up and he got out and went on and so on. They may say all those trashy things, but they still have to deal with Jesus. And we will clear to the end of the age and at that great white throne judgment, the world and the philosophers and the government leaders and all the emperors and all the kings will be asked for a reason why did you reject my only remedy for sin, Jesus Christ? But look on in verse 7. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels. They're going to have to deal with the angel of God. There are only two angels whose names are told in the Bible. The inference seems to be there are thousands, maybe millions of angels, but there are only two who are named, Michael and Gabriel. And here Michael is having war with the old dragon. Now this may be a flashback to the time when Lucifer, that morning star, rebelled against God. This is spoken of in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28. And he rebelled against God. He turned away from God and he led a whole flight of the angels to rebel against God. And that's where the devil and all of his angels are enjoying themselves. Because right now, they've been cast out of heaven. Where are they? They're right here. The prince of the power of the air today is not Jesus. Now certainly he's the creator. <clears throat> He stands behind it all, but the prince of the power of the air is the devil. And he's causing all kinds of confusion. <clears throat> confusion among the nations, wars and rumors of wars. He's causing confusion in homes. 
He's causing confusion in churches. He's causing confusion among friends. The devil does that. <clears throat> he was cast out of heaven. He's on the earth. And the great dragon, look in verse 9, was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan who deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a great voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down who accused them before our God day and night. What he's saying is that thank God he's not in heaven anymore. <laughs> he's cast down. But look in a moment. Down at verse uh, 12. Therefore rejoice ye heavens and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. Now the devil is here. He's real. He's not some fake. He's not some fairy story. He's not just some evil force. He is a real person. Now, he is not equal in power with God. The Lord God is omnipotent. The devil is not omnipotent. The Lord God is omniscient. The devil is not omniscient. The, de the, the Lord God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. The devil can't do that. He's limited. But he has enough authority and power to read what we say. He knows what we say. He hears what we say. He knows our actions, and he knows our weaknesses. In Hebrews chapter 12, wherefore, seeing we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Now, weight is not necessarily a sin as such, but it's something that bogs us down, keeps us from doing our best. And he says, well, lay it aside. You don't need it. What is the weight in your life? Ask the Holy Spirit to show you. You'll be a stronger Christian when you lay aside those weights. I discovered years and years ago that the weight, one of the weights in my life was movies, picture shows. And I laid it aside for six months because somebody challenged me to do it. And I found my whole thinking process was different. I dare you to try that. What are the weights that come? <clears throat> Sometimes those weights are expressions of love that you don't really mean. How can a guy go with a girl and say, I love you, and next week he's out with somebody else? Expressions of love that you don't mean. I personally believe a kiss ought to mean something. I don't believe you'd want to be kissed on by every old cow that comes along or any old, every old bill, bull that comes along. <laughs> Make it mean something. Well, lay aside the weights. A kiss is not sin, but it could become a weight if it's used incorrectly. There are a lot of weights we need to lay aside. The devil is tricky. He's trying his best to get to our hearts and to hurt us. Lay aside every weight, and the sin which doth so easily beset you. I don't know what your sin is that so easily besets you, but lay it aside, find out what it is. The devil already knows. 
He will attack you in your weakest area. And if you don't know where it is, how are you going to put any defenses up against him? Satan is a monster and a tyrant, and we have to deal with him. Let me mention the others and then a brief application, and we'll close for tonight. Look in chapter 13. I, I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. This is the Antichrist. At the end of the age, the world will have to deal with him. In Revelation 6, we read that he comes in in power. He comes in riding on a white horse with a bow and no arrow, no battle. He's going to be elected. People will love him. He'll be a man of peace for a while. But Revelation 6 unfolds that soon that peace turns to bloodshed and war and famine and awful tragedies. And later on in that same chapter, we have another beast. He is the false prophet. Will you please keep in mind, church, that during the tribulation period, there will be a church here. I pray there won't be one person at Glendale Baptist Church that can operate this church. We'll all be in heaven. But wouldn't it be awful if during the tribulation and the rest of us are gone to heaven, there's a nucleus of people that could run this church as an ecumenical church? That'd be tragic. I pray God will burn the place down before that happens. You see, a lot of times we just take these things and we don't really take them seriously. In the tribulation period, there's going to be a person who represents the devil. He's called a beast in this chapter. The best way to understand the scripture is literally unless it's facetious. You know there's not going to be some monster beast sitting on a throne. It's, go it's a person. And his name is 666. And you know what that means? Years ago when we went to Israel, there was a, all the license numbers said 666. Somebody called that to the attention of the government that you don't find that anymore. There are no 666s on any license plates anymore. They're not there. What does 666 mean? It means <coughs> man... The number for God and purity and, 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 and the number for uh, maturity and perfection is seven. The number for man is six. And what does that mean? He's always one short of perfection. Always one short of perfection. Perhaps this computer crisis we're facing will help us understand that. In all of our great technology, somehow we're one point short of perfection. Nobody seems to know how to deal with it. Nobody seems to know what to do in advance. And they fix a little bit here and fix a little bit here. I was talking to somebody the other night. And I said, well, if they know how to do it and they know, what's, know what needs to be done, why don't they get it done? Well, they said there are so many. There are billions of computers. Well, let's hire a million people. America do, could do that and go out and try to fix them before December. Well, they don't really know what to do. They don't know how to get in there and do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> six, 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 six means man to his highest, but he's still one short. He's not going to be God. He may pretend to be. And this false, be false prophet is going to make everybody worship before the image of the beast. And the reason that nomenclature is like that is because it's a take back to Daniel. When Antiochus Epiphanes 
created a beast, uh, offered a sow on the Jewish altar, and then made an image of Jupiter and told all the Jews to come in and worship, and they all fled. They wouldn't do it. They rebelled. And in the time of the end, that person of the false prophet will be there, that person of the false government will be there, the emperor, the ruler, the leader, the antichrist, and they'll be ruling this earth. We don't have time to go into all that tonight, but I want you to notice a verse that I omitted a moment ago, and it's the most important verse in this chapter. It's verse 12, verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. That's a powerful, powerful verse. If you have not memorized it, memorize it tonight. And they overcame him, the devil, by the blood of the lamb, that's Jesus, by the word of their testimony, that's putting yourself out on a line with your testimony for Christ, and they loved not their lives unto death. When you and I get saved, we throw away our rights. Don't have any rights. If you're not afraid to be killed by the enemy, how can he hurt you? If you're not afraid, how can he hurt you? All he can do is kill you, and then you go to heaven. <laughs> you see, they love not their lives unto death. It was an attitude of the heart. It was not something they mechanically did. It was an attitude of the heart. And you and I need that kind of attitude of the heart that we can say by day by day, I will overcome, not in my own strength, not because I'm good, not because I've quit some things and started some other things or I got baptized the right way and I go to church and so on. No, I overcame by the blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth from all sin. And when you meet a very hard thing in life, plead the blood. The devil is afraid of the blood of Christ. Interesting thing happened in Egypt. The night of the Passover, the blood was put on the doorposts. The Egyptians were not smart enough to understand what was going on. And the death angel passed over, and when he saw the blood, he passed over that house. There was protection. It didn't mean the doors were all painted with blood, or the beds were all painted with blood. There was just a little blood up there, which was a symbol. We're a believing house. We have a God. Our anchor holds. <laughs> and the Egyptians... The oldest son in their homes that night died. And that's the reason Pharaoh's heart was so moved. He got up and told them to get out, leave. And they left. And then he, he was, changed his mind again. The devil entered into him. And he tried to pursue them. And all of Pharaoh's army got drowned in the Reed Sea. Six inches of water. <laughs> no, no. In the Red Sea. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, our God is able. Remember, we overcome the devil by the blood of the Lamb. You're on the winning side. Winning side. Just think, you're on the winning side. 
They overcame the devil by the word of their testimony. They were willing to put their testimony on the line. You know why a lot of people don't go soul winning? Afraid to go knock on somebody's door and talk to him about Jesus. Or afraid to bring up the conversation with somebody because they are afraid they'll get rejected. They're afraid that they won't think so much of us anymore. I want to demonstrate that. Uh, Brian, come up here just a minute, will you? Suppose I don't know Brian at all, but he's a good athlete. And I respect him a whole lot. And I, I somehow our, our paths meet and I see him and, and I'm sort of intimidated by him. He's taller than I am. He's more muscular than I am. And he has a lot of power. And he's a good athlete. He can always get that bat ball in the basket. And he's got a, a hundred and, and all that. And I come and I'm just, uh, I say, well, hello. I'm so glad to meet you. And what's your name now? Brian. Yeah, I've heard about you. You're a great, great athlete. I'm so glad to get to know you. And inside, I want to talk to you about Jesus. But I'm intimidated. I think if I talk to you about Jesus, that you won't like me. Well, you'll think it's none of my business. And so I just don't do it. Now, how much better it is to say, Mr. Brian, I'm so glad to know you. I want to tell you something. I've admired you a long time. I appreciate your playing. Something happened to me several years ago that changed my whole life direction. Jesus Christ came to live inside of me. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Amen. See, he'll say yes. And you'll have to be intimidated. Sometimes I say no. And then you have an open door. You know, talk to people. The devil tries to intimidate us. But put your testimony on the line. Last of all, they overcame him by the word of their testimony. And they loved not their lives unto death. All you can do is kill me. They came to get Polycarp. Polycarp was the disciple of John, the beloved apostle, who wrote five books in the New Testament. He was 85 years old. They said, Mr. Polycarp, if you will turn away from your testimony for Christ, if you'll say that you don't believe it any longer, you don't believe anything about Jesus, if you'll just recant that testimony, you won't have to go to jail. And more than likely, you'll be killed if you, if you don't recant. And Polycarp said, listen, for 85 years, Jesus has been good to me. Do you think I would deny him now? And they led old Polycarp, 85 years old, before the tribunal. And then they burned him at the stake. And Polycarp said as he was dying, this is okay, I get to heaven quicker. <laughs> you see, they loved not their lives unto death. <clears throat> Listen, if you're saved, don't be ashamed of it. If Christ is real to you, don't be ashamed of it. Thank God for it. If you've been saved, you ought to be baptized. Don't be ashamed of it. See, baptism is the burning of bridges behind you. It's saying Christ is my all in all. I love him. He's my savior. He's my sin bearer. And I don't care if the whole world knows it. In the early Christian faith, baptism was the profession of faith. I don't think they had the invitations quite like we have them. They would have outdoor meetings, invite people to come to Christ. And when they came to Christ, they baptized them. You remember that man, the Ethiopian eunuch? On his way back to Ethiopia, he was a great government official. And Philip talked to him about Jesus. And I'm sure he must have included the importance of baptism. They came to a certain water. He said, sir, here's water. What does hinder me to be baptized? He had to beg him. He said, I want that. 
And uh, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that was the confession he made. And he was baptized, went down to Ethiopia years ago. Some of you may remember, we had a man named Abraham from Ethiopia. And Abraham, I said, Abraham, where did your, your religious tradition come from? I said, were you all part of the Catholic movement? Or where'd you come from? Where, where, where's your tradition from? He said, no, our tradition is from that Ethiopian eunuch that went down to Ethiopia and told people about Jesus. And the Ethiopian church sprung up. It was unlike most of the other churches of the world. It never did affiliate with the Roman church. It was a separate and different. You see, he got saved. Are you saved tonight? Are you really positive Christ is in your heart? You don't have to give in to the devil. You don't have to succumb to his stat strategies and, and uh, tactics. Ask the Lord to help you. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. They were saved. Their sins were under the blood. They overcame him by the word of their testimony. They put their life out on the line for God and said, I'm going to serve the Lord. He's the most important person in my life. And thirdly, they overcame him because they loved not their lives unto death. All you do is kill me. I'm going to serve the Lord. I think we need to pray for each other as we approach the end of the age that God would give us that kind of Holy Spirit conviction and courage that we could stand in the face of everything hell could pour at us, everything the devil could pour at us. And by the grace of God, say, I'm going to stand, I'm going to stand. Now it all begins by a profession of your faith and baptism. Baptism doesn't save you any more than a profession of faith saves you. <laughs> Did you know that? You're not saved because you come up here and make a profession of faith. You're not saved because you say, God, please forgive me, I sinned some sins. You're saved when you put your faith in Jesus and let him cover your sins. And he becomes the sin covering for you so that you can testify, I'm saved by the blood of the Lamb. Christ is my Savior. Look to the Lamb of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this wonderful truth from the Word of God. They overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, and they loved not their lives unto death. Help us, Father, to put that into effect in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. It's exciting to know the Lord. What song? 339. 339. Look to the Lamb of God. That's a great hymn. And as we sing it, we let the Lord have his way with you, whatever it means. If you're here and you're not saved, why not come to Christ tonight? If you are saved, you, you know that Jesus is in your heart. Why not come and say, I'm ready to be baptized and go on and serve the Lord? Or I want to move my membership and become part of this fellowship. Or recommit your life to the Lord or offer your life for his service. What a blessing that is. Look to the Lamb of God as we sing.